welcome to the aggressive life. What happens when you die? My friend John Burke thinks he's got a pretty good handle on the answer. And after reading his book, I think he's got a pretty good handle on it as well. For 35 years and counting, John's been collecting, examining, and dissecting stories of NDAs. That is non-descriptive epidemiology. No, I mean, near-death experiences, that's what it is, from, from around the world. <laughs> and while these stories come from people all over the map, the similarities he's found and the conclusions he's come to are really pretty astounding. He's studied over a 1,000 near-death experiences, and he's compiled his findings into the New York Times best-selling book, Imagine Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Promises, and the Exhilarating Future That Awaits You. Yeah, genuine best-selling book on the New York Times list. I I, want to be a best-selling author on the New York Times list. So today we're going to get into how he's done that and talk about heaven. You know, it's one of those questions that many of us have, or maybe one of those beliefs that many of us have, but we don't think about too much. Uh, What about questions I want to throw John's way? Like, am I going to see my pets again? What about purgatory? Will I know people in heaven? Will I remember my life on earth? Or even this, how can we even know for sure there's a heaven? and more. So besides being a best-selling author, John has been a really, really close friend of mine for, gosh, 25 years. He's also the founding and senior pastor of Gateway Church, a multi-site church in Austin, Texas. John Burke, welcome to The Aggressive Life. <laughs> that was that was an intro I would expect, Brian. That was perfect. Well, thank you. Well, <laughs> you would not expect a perfect intro from me, but I'm thankful no. that you would have thought that, Big John. Yeah. Let's talk about you for a minute. Heaven. When did you start getting interested in heaven? Well, I, you know, I don't know if I've ever even told you the story, but, you know, my, my dad died. Um, and as he was, he was, it was, a, it was cancer. So it took a while and I was an agnostic still. And, um, you know, definitely didn't believe in Jesus wasn't sure what I thought about God, didn't really care. And then he, you know, he gets cancer and it's looking bad. And someone gives him the very first book, the first research on near-death experiences. And I pick it up on his bedside table and I just start looking at it, read the first, and I, I didn't stop. I read the whole thing in one night and I was like, crap, this could be like evidence that, that, this God Jesus stuff is real because so many of them were talking about seeing God and this brilliant God of light, seeing Jesus. And, um, and so that actually opened me up to exploring faith. And so it was, it was, uh, after that is a couple of years after that, that I actually came to faith in Christ in a, in a small group Bible study. But, um, and, and since then, you know, I, 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 you know, I studied engineering. I was an engineer for a number of years and I've always had this like curiosity, like what are these things and how do they relate to the Bible? And so I've, you know, studied the Bible for 35 years and I've also come across just one after another, after another. And, um, I actually gave my first talk on this, on how the Bible and these near death experiences intersect in 1989 at university of California, Santa Barbara. Hmm. And um, I didn't realize it then, but that was kind of the melting pot of where people who were starting to report these, um, you know, because I think with modern medical resuscitation, 
more and more are happening and they're getting reported more and more. So give us your uh, your intro, your primo, your cliff note version on what is an NDE? What are, what are people seeing? I, I know most of us have heard, oh, some people die and they see a light at the end of the tunnel and they feel some love. Maybe we've heard a couple of those stories, but yeah. like, just give us like your, your clinical understanding with how many people have you interviewed, by the way, on this topic? I mean, it's well over a thousand, probably closer to fifteen hundred, two thousand now. Okay, so a lot. So, for those of us who don't know a lot about NDEs or have just heard stories about yeah. light, tell us what it is. What's going on? So, yeah, and let me tell you what convinced me, and and not just me, but um, but many medical doctors who were not, you know, they weren't believers in the afterlife. Um, so, when someone dies, a near death experience is when someone clinically dies, meaning. Our, our way of measuring death, heartbeat stops, no brain waves, um, and sometimes for five minutes, sometimes for hours. Like we're talking about people who've had no brain waves for hours and yet they're resuscitated or miraculously come back. And they commonly have experience that they say is more real than anything they've ever experienced on this earth which how do you have something more real? But that, that is what they say. And I've, I've come to believe they're experiencing something beyond our three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. And that's why they say that. But when, when someone first dies, they leave their body. Um, they say they're still themselves and they feel more alive than they've ever felt before. In fact, not just with five senses, some say it's like 50 or like a hundred senses, like, like, supercharged experience of life, but still themselves, completely themselves. They still have a body, but it's a spiritual body. Um, but even look like the same, feel the same, you know, same humor. I'm going to have to put up with your jokes in heaven still. That's going to be the best part of heaven. What are you talking about, John? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your sense of humor, is, it's not going to get better just because of heaven. Hey, Sorry, guess, Brian. hey guess what? Guess who likes my sense of humor? <laughs> God, that's who likes my sense of humor. He gets yeah, me. He right. understands he me. Does. You don't, little weenie boy, but God does. You're absolutely right. So, so here's the deal is that when people have this experience, many times initially they're still in the room where their resuscitation is taking place. And so they are able to witness what's going on in the room, even though their body is out. They're dead. They're clinically dead. They're not seeing anything, hearing anything. There are no brain waves. In fact, um, you know, that's a lot of the evidence that, you know, they've been able to show absolutely no brain activity. So where are they able to observe these things? So I'll give you an example. Um, one guy in Holland had a heart attack out in a park. They brought him into the ER. Um, they're going, they're going to intubate him and shock him. The nurse realizes he's got dentures, so takes the dentures out. Then they intubate him. They shock him. They get his heart going again, but he didn't recover in the ER. They bring him to another room. He recovers a week later. And he sees that nurse, and he says, hey, that nurse knows where my lost dentures are. The nurse, that's the nurse that put them in that, in that cart with all the bottles on it. It was the crash cart, and she, he had put it in the bottom drawer and so they found the dentures and then he explained that, yeah, I, I was there and I saw and reported all the doctors and who all was in the room. Wow. Now that's, that's not uncommon. 
that's incredibly common. And in fact, there have been scientific studies done on the accuracy of these observations. And they found that, you know, of, of uh, like one study done with 93 uh, indie ears, who each one might make, you know, 10 observations, right? They found 92% of their observations were 100% accurate. Um, the other 6% were mostly accurate. Only 2% were inaccurate. And then they compared that to a control group of heart attack patients who had ha not had an NDE. And they asked, what do you think happened in your resuscitation? And they weren't even close. They were guessing like, you know, stuff they'd seen on TV. Here's the thing. Um, there have actually been, like Gallup poll did a study on this. They found one out of 25 Americans has had an NDE. More recently, the uh, European Academy of Neuroscience did a study across 35 countries, found one out of 10 people claims they've had an NDE. I think that's actually a little high. I think it's still more like one out of, one out of 20. But we're talking about people all over the world, and they're saying the same things. And so they're you know, there have been the same things like what? what? What's the same things? What are the commonalities? Yeah. Okay. So leave your body, you still have a spiritual body. Um, and not every NDE happens in exactly the same order, but the commonalities are consistent. Um, they have a sense of they can they can see like telescopic vision miles away or anything really up close. Um, by the way. Uh, all these things I'm going to be talking about are in the scriptures. And that's what a lot of Christians don't understand. It's all there. It's phenomenal. But, you know, not many people have really looked in and studied it to go, oh, that telescopic vision is exactly what John was reporting in the book of Revelation. When he is taken to heaven, he's up on a very high mountain looking down on the city of God, and he reads the names on the foundation stones. Mm -hmm. How does he read the names? Interesting. From up on a very high <laughs> And so there's all kinds of stuff like that. So oftentimes people then, they're, they're observing the room, then they travel. And some say they go through a, a tunnel. Well, it's like a tunnel that opens up. They describe it differently. Some, it's a, it's a dark tunnel. Some, it's not. Um, some don't do the tunnel thing. Some travel. Uh, oftentimes they'll, they'll say with, with their angels and they'll travel, and it's like out of our atmosphere. They're looking back at Earth, and they go, and they're going like light speed somewhere. Many times they end up in a, in a place of um, brilliant light, beauty just like on Earth. Um, it's not unlike Earth, flowers, mountains, trees, streams, you know, grass, colors far beyond our color spectrum, and they, they commonly talk about that. Hmm. Which, again, makes sense. It, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, the best way to illustrate a, one of the, the full-blown ones is with my favorite one, which is um, the blind ones. So when a blind person dies clinically and has a near-death experience, they see and experience the exact same things a sighted person does. Hmm. So they see their body. They can see what's going on. So Vicky was, uh, was blind from birth, never seen anything. So same thing happens. She sees her body there. She realizes because she, she notices her wedding ring uh, and, and her long hair. And she realizes, I think I'm dead. Um, she was a believer in Christ. So she's like, you know, I'm, I'm, they're not listening to me because she was trying to get their attention. She's like, I know where I'm going. I'm out of here. And she goes up through the roof of the hospital and is, is gone. 
comes into this, this place of, it was like a garden, it was beautiful, lights coming out of everything. But she said the light wasn't light like we see. It's like light that is love, light that is life, and it's coming out of everything. So she said, it's coming out of the trees, it's coming out of the grass, it's coming out of the birds, and it's coming out of the people too. And there's this great group of people coming toward her. It's like a welcoming committee um, that's coming toward her. Now, let me pause a second because, you know, my interest is showing how this is what God's been revealing for thousands and thousands of years. This is not new to our century. Um, and, and so you think about it like the light coming out of everything. Um, in Isaiah 60, Isaiah says, there's no sun or moon in heaven for the glory of God is its light. In, in Revelation 21, it says, uh, there's no sun or moon because God is its light and the lamb, Jesus, is its lamp and the nations will walk in that light. Mm. And that's exactly what they're describing, this light that comes, that's coming out of everything, that's giving love, bringing love and life to everything. How would a blind person, and I'm talking about multiple blind people, I, I report three blind people in Imagine Heaven, how would they all know that light comes out of things? Why would they report that? Hmm. Because they would have heard on earth light shines on things, not out of things. Hmm. And even out of the people. And so, you know, Daniel chapter 12, the angel tells Daniel, the righteous will shine like the sun. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 13 said the same thing. Then the, right, the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. So this is the sharing of the glory of God, the light, the love of God. And, um, and that's a commonality. So, so here's Vicki. A welcoming committee is a commonality. Our, the dead friends and relatives who have already passed on, they're there to welcome us. We remember each other. We remember our histories. You know, our, our sense of humor is the same. And she sees Diane and Debbie, who were two of her good friends that died at age nine and 11. They, they lived together in a home for the blind. And she said, that, but they were in their prime. And, and, you know, they recognized each other right away. And then she sees someone else over on the right, brighter than any of them, and she turns and looks, and it's Jesus. And she goes to him, and he hugs her, and she describes him just kind of like you would think of Jesus, you know, shoulder-length hair, a beard. But she said there was, she, as she was hugging him, there was like light coming out of the beard, and um, a robe down to about his ankles, and when he looked into her eyes, she said it was like he saw into every part of me. And she said it was, it was the most amazing thing. I could get lost in his eyes forever. And he could see everything. He knew everything. He said, but, but you wanted him to know everything. And this love that is just overwhelming, just this unconditional love. And these are all commonalities of people that they experience all around the globe. Another commonality, in his presence, he gives him a life review. So he gives Vicky a life review. Hmm. And literally, they relive their lives. Now, again, time doesn't work the same way on the other side. So 2 Peter 3.8 says to the Lord, a, a, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And that's exactly what these people say. say I, some say, well, there was no time. And some say, well, there was time, but you, there was just plenty of time all the time. It was just different. 
So they relive their lives watching it from like a panoramic three-dimensional perspective. But not only are they seeing themselves and what they did interacting with everyone, they're remembering the thoughts, the feelings, but they're also experiencing what the other person thought and felt. And sometimes how that impacted others, you know, like the ripple effect life by life by life. And they all come back saying the same thing. They absolutely know God is love. And what he cares about most is how we treat one another, how we love other people. And that that's, that's the most important thing. And so then another commonality is in his presence, many times he'll say, hey, your purpose on earth isn't done yet. You got to go back. Or sometimes he'll say things like, you know, you didn't die yet. You've got to go back. Hmm. Or sometimes he'll say, the choice is yours. Do you want to go on? Or do you want to go back? And and 30% of them know they come to some border or boundary and they describe it differently, but they know it's a border or boundary that if they cross over, they can't come back. Interesting. That's very important, actually, because I think it, it it's part of why it took me 35 years to write the book. Because huh. I had a lot of I had a lot of like, well, what's that? You know, how do you explain that? And how does that how does that work with what the Bible says? And so some of those like that really helped me. That's interesting. I had um, one of the one of the worst moments in ministry. Uh, I had to be the worst. So I should say the the worst is when opening night of a Christmas production, we had somebody who was one of the magi uh, fell to her oh, death. Yeah. You know, I remember. You remember that, right? I remember. Awful. Oh yeah. And uh, you know, it was, uh, I don't want to go into that whole story and go go all down the rabbit trail. Maybe someday we'll do that there, but not really for this other than to set it up to say, um, you know, we prayed me and a buddy, of my Steven, we just prayed hardcore for Carrie. It was like intense, intense prayer, just going after it, singing, dancing around her bed, just doing anything to scream out to the heavens for, for some healing as she lied under, under a heating blanket. And we just always were wondering why, why nothing took place. We just felt like, I, I know that God doesn't say yes to every healing prayer. I know that, but it just seemed like there was unfinished business and there was something we weren't understanding there. A buddy of mine, a buddy of mine, like a couple months later, said, hey, God God woke me up and spoke to me. And he's not the kind of, he's an attorney. He's not the kind of guy to even say this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just like wear God in his sleeve, just try to impress mm-hmm. people with the spirituality. That's not King Arthur. That's, that's what I call him. He said, uh, I felt God said to me, he said, uh, tell Brian and Stephen that their prayers were great. I appreciate it. But when Carrie was with me, she didn't want to go back, and I gave her the op- and I gave her the option, and she chose not to go back. I was just about to say, you know, that's because almost none of them want to come back. Yeah, and even and we're even talking about mothers who love their little children like you can't even believe, and yet when they are in God's presence, I mean, that's it. It's like they say things like, "I'm home." This is where this this is the answer to everything I've ever longed for on earth. Why would I ever want to leave this? This this is the the, the, the like summation of all that I've stri- you know was striving for or trying to find but could never find on earth. And, and so you're saying they don't want to come back but then they get resuscitated they and they just come back involuntarily or what? Well, some so some choose, some do. Hmm. Some are like, you know, um, like I I really like to see the Bengals game this weekend, so uh, (laughs) set me on back. (laughs) 
that's not going to be the reason probably. Um, you know, like I just interviewed this guy in Australia who is a, um, he's a, a PhD. Um, and he said to Jesus, because he had a, he had a daughter in a wheelchair. His wife had divorced him. He had a daughter who, you know, was in a wheelchair and he had four other kids and one was only eight years old. And he just, he thought about what they would go through. And he said, Oh man, this, it was the hardest decision ever, but he, mm. but he said, I think I should go back. Mm. So sometimes that is, you know, that's usually is, is the reason. Oh, let me say one, one other thing that's yeah. really important. So the people that I've tried to focus on, and especially that I include in Imagine Heaven, um, they are spine surgeons, commercial airline pilots, lawyers, bank presidents. I mean, the, Co tenured college professors. These they aren't have, unemployed. These aren't unemployed snake handlers. They, and you know, I mean, people say things. Oh, they're trying to make a buck off a book. Well, first of all, books don't even make a buck. <laughs> you know, it's like you don't. You know, e each book. If if you make a buck, that's pretty good. You know, it, it, they don't make a lot of money. And secondly, they don't need these people. Don't need money. It hurts their career. To say they died and saw Jesus and saw heaven and describe all this wacko stuff. And yet they say, I, I have to tell it. Thinking about the PhD guy in Australia or a bunch of these other folks, that would be obviously an awful decision made, to make to leave God a place where there's no sorrow, no tears, um, perfect love. But at the same time, to then have another shot at life knowing that there's really no bad days here because on the other side, it's all going to be good. That, that's that got to be clarifying, motivating, and incredibly refreshing. No? Yes? It's incredibly clarifying. I mean, one of the big evidences is these people come back and their lives change. They're not that interested in material possessions or climbing the corporate ladder type stuff. They really are interested in doing things that will serve people and, you know, show the love of God to people. Um, you know, like this tenured college professor I interviewed, um, he was an atheist and he gets rescued from hell when he cries out to Jesus. He comes back and two years later, he leaves his tenured college professorship to become a Christian pastor. His wife, who's still an atheist, divorces him because she thinks he's whacked. Hmm. So, you know, and, and, and there's stuff like that. There's so much like that. Like, that's what convinced me. And that's what made me finally write the book. I was like, man, you know, this is a new apologetic for a global world. I mean, God is, God is giving evidence of the reality of, of who he is all across the globe. You mentioned uh, hell. How many people have did you interact with had an experience in hell? That's part one. Part two is why do you think there's other people who die and they report none of this? Yeah. Initially, when these started to come out in the in the late seventies and eighties, people weren't reporting anything about hell at all. Hmm. And if you think about it, first of all. People who did report heaven just got called crazy and whacked and, and nobody had listened to them, including pastors and Christians, which is why many of them like left the church and were like, you know what? They don't, they don't get it. Um, but 
more and more people started reporting hellish experiences, the more common the reports of these got. And uh, a study done in the 90s found that 23% of people who came forward to report a near-death experience had a hellish experience. Now, more recently- 24%. 23%. Now, but that but that's a study, that's just a study of done of people who raised their hand and said, let me tell you about my near-death experience. Right. That doesn't include- a sample of the population. Well, not only that. So th- who wants to? Who wants to admit? Yeah, I, I went to hell. Yeah, I, 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 that was no. We don't want to tell stories about light, or we're not going to tell any story. Yeah, I got tormented for the rest of eternity because of my lack of relationship with God and how I led a loser life. Yeah, no one wants to tell that story. No, and you know the people I've interviewed, like they literally have PTSD from it. Hmm. Wow, it's not like a. Uh, I mean, you know. Howard, that college professor, every time I've interviewed him multiple times and every time he goes like that, that's as far as I, I go, I can't go farther than that. Cause it just, it triggers him. Mm, wow. So it's real. It's not, it's not an imaginary, you know, dreamlike state. This is not any, it's not anything like that. And that's exactly what these people say is like, yeah, that's exactly why it's hard to talk about and why I didn't for so long. Cause many of them don't talk about it. So you're saying there's 24% of people who have these stories. So the other six... No, I think it's more. Okay, so whatever percentage of people who don't have these stories, if people don't have these stories, which is it? Is it that God doesn't give them an NDE because he knows he's going to be resuscitated and it's, it's not time? Is it, or is it they're going to a place of... Of darkness. What's one of the? That's one of the uh, descriptions of hell. Just a place of darkness. I'm, I'm trying to not be too much of a theological geek here, but I do have a seminary education. I'm kind of into the Bible. You know, there's yeah. the whole thing of is, is hell a physical, literal, eternal torment, or is the soul destroyed and you're you're over and done? Is that is that hell? So are these people like? Well, let me wh- start. Let me start with this. A near death experience is not full biological death. These people all came back. So they did not cross that border or boundary, whatever that is and whatever that means. I personally think, you know, one of the things I wrestled with is, is um, Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for mankind to die once and then comes judgment, which these, you know, didn't kind of fit that. And so it was confusing to me for a long time. And then the other thing that was confusing is, like you said, how come... People who have like, they live hell, you know, hellish lives, right? And then they have good experiences or so, so it seems. And then why do some have these hellish experiences and then others see God? And that was very confusing to me until I realized some of them, Jesus literally tells them, you haven't died yet. Other times, they are seeing heaven, like the, like the heavens of the paradise, like the new Jerusalem, like the city of God. And they describe what's in Revelation. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's amazing. Other times, Jesus has said to them, you know, do you want to go on with us to heaven? We can't, you know, we came out to meet you. Well, it's kind of like they're, they're in this limbo place. It's not limbo. It's, uh, some call it like a, and it was kind of like a waiting room or something, or it's like just a, a meeting place or something. And 
It's it's kind of bizarre. I mean, there, there are a lot of things about this that I was just like, no, really? And it kind of tripped me out, you know? Like, I mean, I'm a normal person, so it's weird to me mm, too, yeah. right? But when I saw that the things that they're saying are what the scripture says, but some of the things that the scripture says, you know, that I used to think are just like, sound like a cheesy televangelist set, right? Streets of gold and, you know, gates of pearls and all that. Well, then I, I encounter, you know, commercial airline pilots and doctors and lawyers, and they're describing the same thing, but they're explaining that, well, the, the, the streets are gold, but it's like transparent and it's not like gold like our gold. It's not like gaudy gold. It's like this otherworldly kind of material. Interesting. So that, that that you can see through, and the and the gates are like a pearlescent, transparent. You can see through them, but it's it's almost like a like if you liquefied pearl, and then it's moving. It's like alive or something, and you can go through it. Fascinating. So it's not. It's not. So you know when John says there were twelve gates of pearl. You know I used to picture like. 12 gates, like wrought iron gates and all these pearls stuck all yes, over them and, you right. know, these golden brick road streets. And I was like, oh, that, you know, and I didn't believe it. Honestly, I thought, oh, that's a metaphor. Well, these indie ears actually convinced me, no, that's literal, but it's literal in a very otherworldly way. That's really good because I, I was wondering how do all of these uh, stories coincide and line up with each, each other, at least a lot of them. And one of my thought was, well, because people have heard of pearly gates and golden brick roads. And so they read into that when they're in the NDE, but, but you're saying, no, it's, it's not that at all. And they all surprisingly describe something that you would never expect from reading the Bible. That's interesting. And why would they, why would they say the same things over and over and over again? And it's, and here's the thing that's been fascinating, Brian. It's like, it's kind of like I'm a reporter and there was a car accident and I, and I go around to all the different corners of the street and interview different people. And some say, you know, um, I saw the back lift off the car, but I don't, I don't know if it dented in the front left bumper. And then the other guy said, Oh, it just smashed the front left bumper. Right. And so you got to go, Oh, well, it, if it hit the front left bumper, the guy across the street might see the back lift up, but he didn't see that. And so, you start to triangulate and see that, oh, they're all talking about the same place and saying the same things. You know, like, like here's one. I, I, I'm just always amazed at how many people say, and the grass, like it was the greenest green, but it was grass like you've never seen it. It was like it was alive and this light coming out of it. Well, I mean, you and I have studied the Bible. I would have never said that. I also would never have said there were colors far beyond our color spectrum. And yet, if you think about it, if the light of heaven is the glory of God, you know, the colors of earth are the color spectrum of the sun. So now we're talking about the color spectrum of the glory of God. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's you, awesome. Yeah. That's you got awesome. so many just like trippy things like that that I've that's... come across. And I'm just like, wow, amazing. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's a product I use every day. I started taking AG1 because 
I don't watch my diet too closely, but I know that I'm getting all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients I can, as well as hydrating with 12 ounces of water right off the bat at the beginning of the day. One scoop of AG1 has got 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and it doesn't taste like it. It actually tastes great. AG1 is a microhabit with big benefits. For less than $3 a day, you can take care of your health and invest in your future. It's recommended by professional athletes, health experts, and me. <laughs> to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash aggressive life to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. So go get you some and let's get back to the show. It seems like I'm running into more and more people or at least reading more things and listening to more things about people who are really big on psychedelics. And some of them say that these NDEs are basically a form of psychedelic and therefore that's why yeah. we should, that's why we should do more psychedelics. We'll feel one with one another. We'll love one another. And, and some of them would say, or not them, all of them would say, as I understand that, um, these people are just describing a psychedelic experience at the end of their life. Their neurochemicals just kind of yeah. gush, gush all over the place, and they start seeing freaky things. That's what's happening. What do you say to that? Well, I, I um, first of all, have you ever right, done? Have you ever done any psychedelics? No, but a lot, uh, not a lot, but several indie ears had. Oh, okay. And they told me, like, secondly, would you like to do? Would you like to do psychedelics with me? Because you'd be you'd be a fun person to do psychedelics with. If I, if I, I, if I, if I ever did psychedelics, John, I think, you'd be the first one because I bet it would be awesome doing a trip with you. I bet if you did psychedelics, it'd have the opposite effect because I think you're I think you're already there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So the people you talk to have been on psychedelic trips and had NDEs. Tell me what they said. And they said, oh, it's nothing the same, nothing at all. And I've had so so in this new book I'm writing, um, I take all the alternative explanations that people have come up with. They've come up with 30, 30 alternate explanations for what an NDE is. You know, like it's, it's just like that tunnel vision when, you know, fighter, uh, fighter pilot syndrome. Um, it's like DMT. It's like ayahuasca. It's, I mean, there, there are all these and they're 30. You know why they're 30 alternate explanations? No. Because there's not one good one that they can agree on. Mm. If there was one good one, they'd be like, well, that, that disproves it. But there's not. So they come up with a new one all the time. So I go through 10 points of evidence that any new alternate supposed explanation has to explain. And they don't. So a psychedelic trip, yeah, they, see, they might see wild colors, right? Or they might see a tunnel. Or they might see other beings, I'm not sure they're not actually having some kind of cross the veil experience. Hmm. They might be. Hmm. And God warns us not to do that because you're going in unprotected. It's another interesting thing that people who have these near-death experiences on their way to heaven, they're greeted usually either by angels or by this welcoming committee that they know they're there to welcome them, love them, 
and protect them on their journey. And I've asked them, I like, protect them from what? Protect you from what? And every one of them said, I don't know. I just knew that. And there's a lot of things there on the other side that you, you in, just intrinsically know. And that was one of them. Well, yeah. Ephesians talks about principalities and powers. We talk about this being a spiritual warfare zone. This doesn't necessarily just mean here on earth, but yeah, that makes sense. You got, you got a demonic realm and a spiritual realm. They're still battling right in the other side of the veil. So that, that's, well, so maybe, and maybe that's what the quote unquote bad trip is. Someone has a bad trip and, and it's much more demonic centered. The, the, the demonic came out, came mm-hmm. out to play, Yep, you know, they, they met. And so here's an interesting, you know, this guy, Howard Storm, that I interviewed tenured college professor, atheist. He dies in France when he couldn't get surgery after his duodenum rupture. Initially, he, you know, he's in the worst pain of his life. And then suddenly he finds himself standing by his bed and he feels, he said, I felt better than I've ever felt before. I felt like Superman, like superpowers. And he looks down and he sees his body, but he doesn't get it that he's dead because he always thought death was just lights out. That's what he was expecting. Hmm. And so, he, he, so he's confused. And then there are these people in the hallway of the hospital saying, Howard, come with us. We're here to, we're here to take you. And, and he said, and he thought they were the hospital attendants taking him to surgery finally, because he'd been waiting for like eight hours to go to surgery for him to find a doctor. So he starts to follow them. And they said, they said, you know, we've been waiting for a long time. Come on. And he said, well, I, I, I'm sick. I need, I need surgery. We said, we know, we know all about that. Come with us. We're going to help you. Don't, don't you want to feel better? Okay. Long story short, again, time doesn't work the same way and distance doesn't work the same way. And so he follows them and, it, and he ends up, it gets darker and darker and he starts to realize we're not going, we're not going to surgery. And he's hearing them making jokes and, and long story short, they end up taking him into this outer darkness, just like Jesus describes, just pitch black. And, and they start just mauling him, mm. but they're playing with him. It's sadistic. Mm. And they're just mauling and playing with him. And in that, he, he hears this thought in his gut, pray to God, pray to God. And long story short, he's, he, he is literally, his ego is fighting with him. I don't believe in God. I'm not going to pray to God. And yet he's getting, he's getting mauled. And then he starts to just say words with God in it. And they start to get angrier, but they back off. And he ends up remembering a song that when, when someone took him to Sunday school as a kid, Jesus loves me. And that's all he could remember. Mm-hmm. And he started to think, you know, and, and he said, I don't know how long I was there. It could have been an eternity. He said, I, I didn't know, but I was thinking about my life and how this was the sewer of life. And this is where I belonged because I'd led a sewer life, basically. And he cries out to Jesus to save him. And into this outer darkness comes this brilliant point of light. It's brighter and brighter, bright, brighter than the sun which is another thing that they, they commonly say, but not hard to look at. Arms reach out, pick him up, hold him like a baby, like, like, like you would your, your kid, and rubs his back while he's just sobbing because he just realizes, I was so wrong. Mm. 
And, and so Jesus takes him out of there and, and, and gives him a life review. He's the one who then came back and left his tenured position and, and became a, a Christian pastor. Hmm. The, the thing I realized is that if Howard's experience had stopped when those people, those nice people in the hallway were saying, hey, come with us, and he felt great, he felt like Superman, and he's still alive, he's still himself, Let's say he had come back into his body, which some many do. It's that short, right? He would have said, atheists go to heaven hmm. or atheists live on and there is no God, but they're nice people and it's all good. And that is what many people had said. And that's what, that's what took me 35 years to write the book too, is it was, you know, it was like confusing until I started to get those clues like, oh, there's a border or boundary. This is not. This is not full eternal life or death. Hmm. They, haven't, they haven't fully crossed over. That's why they can still call out to God, and he rescues them. So and is, I've got, what would you I've call got, this? Would you call this, what, some sort of purgatory then you're talking about? No. Or what would you call it? No, I think it is in between. I think it's in between. It is, it is the pathway, and different people go, a, and I, I, I really, Brian, I mean, I've, I've tried to correlate, you know, like, well, how long are they dead and how long was their experience? It doesn't correlate. Is this, or, is this the, the, the quote unquote third heaven we see in 2 Corinthians 12 too, and Paul says he knows the guys went the third heaven. Is that what this is? I'm trying to, I'm trying to have some scriptural reference yeah. for this in between. I'm not going to, I'm not going to disagree with what everyone's saying. If all these stories line up, it means something, but what this in between thing, like what's the scriptural verbiage that you would pin this to? Well, I have I have heard Christians who have had these near death experiences, and I I don't know if this is accurate, but talk about it like and, and by the um, way, and by, maybe the Bible doesn't even talk about this interplay. I mean, you're not you're not hearing me say anything that that I think is absolutely anti Bible. I'm just wondering if this lines up yeah. with something we know in the scriptures. Well, like like when when the scriptures talk about the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven. Yes. So Paul. Which, by the way, Paul had a near-death experience, I think. Acts chapter 14, he's stoned to death. Absolutely. In Lystra, dragged yep. out of the city and left for dead, and then he revives. Yep. And then 2 Corinthians 12, he says, 14 years ago, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Why? Because you still have a body. Paul's the one who talks about spiritual body. It's, it's raised in weakness, but it's, I mean, it's buried in weakness. It's raised in power, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And so he had one and he said, I was taken up to the third heaven and I was shown, uh, I saw and heard things, you know, inexpressible, some things you're not allowed to tell. So some have said, yeah, first heaven is like what we'd call the heavens, right? That we can see in our four dimensions of time and space. Second heaven would be when you cross that dimensional barrier, when those people are above their bodies in a spiritual body, but they're still in the realm of the earth. And there are angels and there are demons, and they encounter both. And so, so that's, that's the, the second heaven. The third heaven is what we think of of heaven. It's like the paradise. It's like the, the city of God, where the throne of God is and, and all that. Well, the aggressive life is about doing things with your life. This is fascinating. This is amazing. I, I'm not done with this conversation, but I'm just curious right now, like you being this close to this many questions, are there things, John, that you're doing differently right now that you wouldn't be doing 
had you not had this deep dive into this topic? I wouldn't have gone into ministry, I don't think. Mm. I mean, honestly, it's like, uh, you know, I, I had, I had researched a lot of these, like I said, all the way back in the, in the eighties. And it was a part of what was like, man, you know, this is like so real. You know, and there's so many points of evidence. I mean, it wasn't near-death experiences that led me to faith in Jesus. It was actually God foretelling what he was going to do prophetically foretelling through Jesus and then history validating all of it. Not only was he going to do with Jesus, but what he did with the whole nation of Israel that happened in 1948, you know, 2,000 years of not being a nation, and suddenly it's a nation again. And that was all foretold in Isaiah. Like, how do you... I've never, ever heard an atheist explain that away, ever. They just don't deal with it. They don't want to. But I, I can't. It's like, and so that combined with these near-death experiences is a lot of, of what made me go, man, you know what? Life is too short to not invest it in what matters most. And that's what I'm doing now. I mean, you know, I, I my wife and I started a church 25 years ago, you know, as you know, and very similar to, you know, the mission of, of crossroads, same, same kind of deal. And I didn't really plan on leaving. I didn't. And uh, a couple of years ago, the Lord made it really clear to me, uh, as clear as when he had me leave and come start gateway. Um, I want you to write and I want you to write more ab- about this. Hmm. And, um, and honestly, I didn't ne- I didn't necessarily want to. Like it's been seven years. You don't normally have a book hit number one on Amazon and you don't write again. Yeah. <laughs> Not if you want to be a writer, right? Yeah. But I, I thought I, I did what I was supposed to do and I think I'm done. Are you? And, and he said, you know, he said no. So, so yeah, to, to the aggressive life, it's like, man, you know what? This life is a blink. And if there's anything that, that you know, I think these people say that we need to hear is that's the life to live for. And you need to live your life now in light of that because that's the one that's real. Are you finding, though, that there's daily decisions that you're making or not making based on an awareness of heaven? Like, for instance, I, I recently bought a, uh, a very expensive scent-proof ground blind for hunting deer. I was like, okay, let's just get this thing right now. And it was expensive, like really freaking expensive, but I won't have to worry about showering off my scent before I go in to use my crossbow and it'll be a little warmer. And yeah, it's not, it's not electrified or anything. It just locks in the scent. And I thought like, I don't know, man, if I, stuff like that, if I really was living in expectation of heaven, would I make that kind of expenditure or would I not? Do you think that kind of granularly about your life in heaven? Yes, but I I think I think there's a positive side to look at it instead of a negative side. Like the negative side I'd say is what do I do without? What do I not do? What do I But the positive side is how do I live forward? And I don't mean forward into retirement. That's what most of us do, right? Yes. But forward. Yeah. So yeah. So like my wife and I, we are we're taking Jesus at his word when he said when he said, Hey, you know what? Um, give and it'll be given back to you in the measure you measure it. 
Like I remember a few years ago, you know, I've always given and tithed, but I read that and I was like, huh, I don't do that. <laughs> you know, like if I really believe that, what would I do? Hmm. And, and I, and I did start to do that. And, and that was a lot of just hearing these people and realizing, you know, now all the things that we live for here, I'm, I have come become convinced all this is shadow, hmm. you know, almost like Plato said, you know, and, and maybe he, you know, maybe he was really onto something, right? That this is, this is a shadow. You read in, in Hebrews chapter eight, that the tabernacle that God had Moses build was a shadow of the one, the real one in heaven. So maybe, you know, and, and, and you think about the light of the sun is just a shadow of the light of God. And the water that we drink and our whole body and our earth is sustained on is just a shadow of what Jesus offered living water right to anyone so maybe all of this like because they they talk about the trees and the grass and the flowers and the mountains and the you know all the beauty of earth is just a shadow just a you know it's like x a thousand yeah. is what we've we've got coming so yeah i do i think um it does affect how i live am i but but i don't but i think there's another side like god god is a god of how do I say this? Cause I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not the health, wealth, prosperity type, right? You know that. Yes. But, but God is not stingy. He's not stingy. He's not like, you know, I just want you to suffer while you're here. And we will go through suffering. We will. Um, that's a part of it. But I guess, you know, I guess I think about it like that too, that, um, you know, it's not just, what should I do without, but yeah. it's more, what should I do? Well, you're doing something's pretty aggressive. You've, you've reached a, uh, an apex of many, in many ways. You started a church that works as large as grown. You've built an organization under you, around you, and you're stepping away from, from it, uh, at a, at a fairly young age. Just tell us about that. Why'd you decide to do that? I mean, um, I felt like God was telling me to, and it, and he and he made it really clear. Over a period of two years, he basically brought fourteen different people to t say the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> okay, I think I got the message. You know, my friend, my friend that I I, I let re read it all and see it all. He said, oh, so so you're like that guy in the flood who's up on the roof. And the waters are rising and you keep praying for God to rescue you. And, and then you drowned and you say, God, I thought you were going to rescue me. And he, you know, he said, well, well, I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter yeah, yeah. and and you kept waiting for God. And he was like, I, I think that's you. And, and he's like, I think you're right. You know? Yeah. So anyway. Well, man, it's, it's pretty cool to see what you're doing. And, and also just really cool to, to, to meet somebody who's had a, book that's been as effective as it is. I got it right here. Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, no, that was John Lennon. Imagine, <laughs> imagine heaven, imagine heaven. Uh, New York Times bestseller, over 1 million copies sold. This is, uh, this is fantastic, John. I hope a lot of people get turned on to it uh, and read it. And we can't wait for your next book that's going to come out. I'm, um, I am at... I'm actually, um, I don't think my path is like yours, but boy, I really admire you for, for choosing to step away from something that's secure and go into an uncertain future, which 
is going to be more writing. That's that's pretty cool, man. Way to go. And one final question. I wish I had more. There's, every once in a while we got some like John here, and like I got a hard stop I got to go to. This could be definitely one of those hour and a half Hour and a half ones. Yeah, totally. We we have questions that we got off of Instagram. Maybe we bring John back and toss just toss the questions to him sometime. Ooh, oh yeah, interesting. We could do that. Are you up for that, you John? Lo- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be glad to. But I got to ask you this. Okay, so so last question today. Uh, your dad. You mentioned your dad on his deathbed. That book. Uh, any story with your dad and faith? What happened? Yeah, I, you know, it was it was tough because I I had never ever had a conversation with him about faith at all. And so I was really like, ah, you know, and then years later when I was, it, was, it wasn't a long time, it was probably five years later, I was moving some stuff for my mom and I came across, you remember that, uh, my heart Christ home yep, I do. Bible study. Yep. He had done it. Oh, wow. And it was all his thoughts and answers. Wow. And I was like, Wow. This is my dad's heart. Like he did know the Lord and, and it was real. And he was just, you know, he just, he didn't talk to me about it. Interesting. John, this has been really, really great. If someone wants to follow up with you, they want to learn more about you and your stuff. Where do they go? Um, it's a good question. <laughs> I gotta John, get this is not good. You're, <laughs> gonna, you're going to be a budding author. You're going to step away from your day give of an organization that pays your bills, and you can't even tell people like a website. A, may, maybe you're not aggressive. Maybe you're just stupid. Uh, yeah, well, it could be. <laughs> I, yeah, go, you, I, you got to at least have a Facebook account. You got uh, one of those? Yeah, yeah. We have. Go to imagineheaven.net. Okay. Imagineheaven.net. And. Um, yeah, and uh, and we've got a Facebook page as well. So. Uh, all right, my friend. Hey, man, I think the world of you. I respect you greatly. Uh, you're one of my favorite people in the world. Every time we hang out, I think, gosh, we don't do this enough. So let's let's do it for real in person soon. Hey, guys, Definitely. ladies and gentlemen, you heard this. This is this is real stuff. This man's a deep well. He shared with us deep, deep, deep stuff. Hey, it's time to start living your life outside of just paycheck to paycheck. It's time to stop trying to get through the quarter, get through the year, get through your 20s. It's time to have a higher vision, something that looks further out in the future, and John's done that for us. Make your decisions for the long term, something that's going to be a blessing to you and be helpful for you for the long, long time. Stop being like all the weenie boys and weenie girls that do all the passive things that are all short-term based. John's elevated our sights. I'm thankful for him and I'm thankful for you. You'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Hey, thanks for listening. For all things aggressive living, why don't you head over to bryantome.com find my new book, Move, a guide to get up and go forward, as well as articles and much, much more. And no matter where you listen to podcasts, why don't you take a second and leave us a rating, leave us a review. It really, really helps us drive new listeners to the show. We want to help as many people as possible, just like we may have helped you. We want to help others. So why don't you help us out? And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. Aggressive Life with Brian Tomes, a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.